Lonely song, the songs for you. When I had a sailboat a long time ago, I knew a number of sailors. Fancy that. One of them had a 40-foot cruiser, and it was a big yacht. In the cabin, and I probably told you this before, in the cabin hung a plaque with this old Breton fisherman's prayer on it. Oh God, thy sea is so great and my boat is so small. I love the simplicity of the prayer. It's been around for a long time, obviously. It's an old prayer. But it stuck with me. So that probably was oh, 38 years ago, I think, that I saw that. As with anything else, it's nice. You know, it's a nice prayer. Until you realize what it means. How you realize what it means is it happens to you. It stops being a nice prayer and becomes part of your experience, as all prayer should be if we wish to develop spiritually. What good is a prayer that you just say the words? It's the prayer that comes from your heart, that comes from your experience. It's when you're squeezed by life. It's the prayer that comes out of you like the juice of a lemon or the juice of a grape or the juice of a peach when you squeeze it. Whatever comes out is what comes out, and that's the prayer of your heart. But you have to have the experience. You have to be squeezed by life. In case you hadn't noticed, life puts the squeeze on us. So, like I said, the prayer, Oh God, thy sea is so great, my boat is so small, meant a lot to me when I had the experience of realizing that the sea really is huge. And no matter how big your boat is, it really is tiny. It's a speck. It's not even a speck in the sea. It enters into you in a way that is far different from intellectual memory. You can look at the prayer and say, Oh God, thy sea is so great, my boat is so small. It's like, yeah. And then you think about it. You can think, oh, the size of the sea and the size of the boat, and even those big tankers that are hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of yards long, like a quarter mile long, tons and tons and tons, millions of tons. And even they are tiny in a huge sea. Even they need radar not to get lost. They're so small in a sea that's so big. So that's intellectual memory. You think about that and you think, oh, yeah, Oh God, thy sea is so great and my boat is so small. But it's like being seasick. Being seasick is awful. If you've ever seen anyone who's seasick, it's really awful. Then you become seasick one day for the first time, and it's way beyond awful. <laughs> There's just nothing like it. To see someone seasick is to think, oh, that's awful, they look really sick. But to be seasick and to think, I just want to die. That's all. Just let me die. That is different. That's what I'm talking about. I'm talking about the difference between an intellectual memory and a real experience. The reason the little prayer is so real for me is because I experienced the vastness of the sea and the insignificance of my tiny sailboat on the Gulf of Mexico when a squall came up and I was sailing alone. So what I'm going to talk about is a lifeline. It's a rope or line used for life-saving, typically one thrown to rescue someone in difficulties in water, or, and this is the specific meaning I take, one used by sailors to secure themselves to a boat. One of the things I can tell you from my experience is I could have easily been swept off the deck, and that would have been it, because I was not tied. I didn't have a, a lifeline on. I didn't have a line hooked to me and then attached securely to the vessel. 
So had I been knocked off the boat, which fortunately I wasn't, I would have probably been lost at sea, as they say. Only fools sail alone without a lifeline. Solomon said, A wise man is cautious and turns away from evil, but a fool is arrogant and careless. This is in Proverbs 14:16. if you're interested. We must have a lifeline if we wish to attempt the work of esotericism. Sure, you didn't really think I was just going to talk about boats, did you? <laughs> this work must become your boat, and we must tie off to it with a lifeline. A lifeline is having in yourself one thing that you understand about this work. Without it, you will be lost at sea. The sea, obviously, is life. It's vast, it's huge. A number of things that can happen to you. What can happen in any moment? A meteor could fall from the sky and land on your car. A, we went home from a meeting one Sunday and we heard this big boom, big boom when we got home. And we looked outside and a tree, a huge tree, had fallen on our neighbor's car. That was it, just boom. And he, when he went to claim the insurance on it, the insurance company said, well, we're not going to pay on that. That was an act of God. So life is like that. You, you don't know what's going to happen next. It's huge. It's vast. It's unpredictable, just like the sea. And if you'll think about, oh, God, thy sea is so great, or thy life is so great, and my little body and my little life is so small, then you start to bring it home to what I'm really meaning here, what this is really about, what this work of esotericism is really about, what we're doing here, why this is so difficult for us, why you go through these things that are painful, and why you continue to go through things that are painful. It's like the email that I got this morning, and the person said, <laughs> it seems like a paradox to thank you for the pain. I'm not a masochist, trust me, but every day it gets better. Well, that'll change. It'll get better, and then it'll get worse, and then it'll get better, and then it'll get worse. But that's not the important thing. I don't think that this person is looking at every day it gets better in an outer way. I think what they're beginning to see is that every day it gets better in an inner way, no matter how bad it is out there. It doesn't matter how high the sea is. If you've got a lifeline and it's securely tied to the boat, you're fine. It's when you get lost at sea, when you get lost in life, when you are swept away by life. That's when it becomes really painful and just horrible, like being seasick, really seasick. Stories abound of solitary sailors lost at sea. Oh God, thy sea is so great. Without a lifeline in this work, you can go from podcast to podcast, teacher to teacher, meeting to meeting, book to book, diagram to diagram, Hearing all about esoteric teachings with your outer ears, without a lifeline, you have no place from which to start. Everything you do, every podcast you listen to, every book you read, every meeting you go to, doesn't matter. If you're like a mailman through wind and snow and sleet and hail, the mail is going to be delivered, I'm going to go to the meeting, it doesn't matter. It's useless to you. There has to be something more. You've got to have something to connect you to these teachings that connect you in a very real way, not just intellectually, not just a bunch of things stuck in your memory, not just, well, I listened, well, I was on the treadmill and I listened for 40 minutes, you know, or I was jogging and I listened for 40 minutes, or I did this and I did that and I listened. I don't care. That's not what this is about. What this is about is making it difficult. 
What this is about is suffering, conscious suffering, where you submit yourself deliberately to face yourself and suffer the consequences of facing yourself, which means wounding your own self-love, putting yourself in harm's way. The best way to keep away from being seasick is to stay off the sea. The best way to stay safe on a boat is to not get on a boat or to get on a boat that's in your garage. And then you're not really safe because you could fall off. I mean, you, you don't know what could happen. But you can certainly manage the risks by staying off a boat. You can certainly manage the risk of being seasick by not going on the sea. But no matter how much you do, withdrawing from life doesn't change it. Withdrawing from life doesn't transform you. So going into a monastery or going into a convent, well, I've just had it, I'm going to go do this, that's just running away. The hard part is facing yourself. The hard part is facing the pain of who you have become, what you have become, what you are like internally. And the hard part is facing that you are responsible for it. It doesn't matter who did what to you. That has nothing to do with anything. All that matters is how you took it and what state you put yourself in as a result of that. For the people who are going to the meetings and reading the books and doing the diagrams and listening to the podcast and not applying it, Isaiah had a word for them. He said, so the word of the Lord to them will be order on order, order on order, line on line, line on line, a little here, a little there, that they may go and stumble backward, be broken, snared, and taken captive. Isaiah 28:13. What that means is we study all this stuff but we don't apply it. And because we don't apply it, it builds up in our intellect. It builds up in our false personality. It builds up in our pride and our vanity. And then what happens is we stumble backward. Then we're broken and snared and taken captive. And if you don't think that life has taken you captive, think of the last time you were seriously identified and seriously negative about it. And you were unable to do anything about it. You were a captive of your negative emotions. You were a captive of what some driver had done. You were a captive of what someone had said about you or done to you. Morris Nichols said, we're all comfortable in our memories owing to buffers. So memory will not stab us awake. Now I want you to think about what he said, stab us awake. Have you ever stabbed yourself with a pin, a fork? a knife. Have you ever stabbed yourself accidentally? It's really a shock. It's like, ow! It's very unpleasant. And if it's a good stab, it's really unpleasant. If it's just a pinprick, it's not so bad. It's just a shock. Having a lifeline to esoteric teachings means you suddenly experience the truth about some teaching. Your understanding of it snaps you back to reality like a bungee cord. It doesn't matter which truth you see. You no longer have questions about it. If I say to you, do you believe in God? You say, yeah. And I say, well, what, is, what does that mean? What is God? You forget about it. It's not even anything I can even talk about. Because you know the truth of it. You see the truth of the infinite being infinite and you being finite. You see the complete, utter futility of trying to explain something that is inexplicable. So you don't bother because you see the truth of it. And if you catch yourself doing something, like trying to explain it, you just, in exasperation, throw up your hands and say, what an idiot I am, and you give it up, because you see the truth of it. Because, like a bungee cord, it snaps you back to reality. The reality of what you know, what you see the truth of. And it's your understanding that does it, not your 
intellectual knowledge, not your external memory. You don't have any questions about it anymore. What are your questions about God? Well, God, are you male or female? Well, God, where are you? God, um, do you, are you this, are you that? None of that. You have none of those questions. None. And if you do, then you don't see the truth of it yet. But for the people that I know, the people here, that's not a question for them. You're no longer working on it. It's now working on you in a deeply internal way. It's not something you have control over anymore. It's not something you get to ask questions about. It's something that gets to ask questions about you now. It's something that gets to move you around instead of you moving it around. I've known people who studied this stuff for years and have yet to be stabbed awake spiritually. They're just too cautious. They just don't want to deal with the pain of being stabbed awake. You'll know when your life begins to be revised and transformed in ways you couldn't have imagined. It's not always fun, but then you know. You start to know that the truth that you see, you're beginning to understand, and it alters you. It alters you in ways that you could never alter yourself. Some people have excellent formatory memories. They can remember and recite esoteric ideas like a podcast or a recording or a parrot or something that they've memorized. But until they've experienced it, they've not been jerked awake by a lifeline. It's still lying in their outer memory. These ideas have to be applied to oneself. It's not enough to listen to them. It's not enough to read about them. I know I say this over and over and over again. And there's a reason for that. I say it over and over again because we need to hear it, because we need to apply it. Something needs to be applied so that it can begin to stab you awake, that it can begin to snap you back to reality when you've been swept off the boat and life is carrying you away, when you've been swept off the work and life is drawing you out into it. Here's the one thing that we need to understand, the one thing that people who listen to the podcast, who read the books, who study the diagrams, who talk about it, who go to groups and meetings and yada, yada, yada about it, and they talk to their friends about it, and they're all about it. Here's the one thing that they need to get. You are the person about whom I've been talking in these podcasts for nearly six years. It's you. You are the one. It's not somebody else. It's you. You are that person. I know very well people who listen without ever seeing their own negative emotions, without justifying them away in a moment. Look, I get emails from people. I've talked to people who have listened to these podcasts. I've lived with them. One of the things I can assure you is that when they're negative, they'll justify it instantaneously. Well, you made me negative. When they're happy... They'll justify it. In t well, you made me happy. You did this and you did that. Oh, that makes me so happy. No, oh, that makes me so sad. You are the person I've been talking about. This is not about me. But what happens is people make it all about the author. They make it all about the person who's doing it. They make it all about the teacher. They make it all about the author. It's not about me. It's about you. This is all about you. And every moment that you spend on anyone else is a moment wasted, is a moment when you are lost at sea when you have been swept off the boat of esoteric teachings and life is drawing you back into it through the five senses. And you have no lifeline to jerk you back, to snap you back, to pull you back, or to pull yourself back to the boat, to the esoteric teachings, to the ideas that can help you navigate this world and this life. Because 
It's not easy by any standard. It's not easy to know what to do. And this is about you. It's not about knowing what to do. It's about knowing how to do it, whatever that is. And that's something that can only happen inside of you. And that's something that can only happen based on something higher. It can't be based on something in life. Well, everyone says this. Well, I don't care what everyone says. What does the work say? What do the esoteric ideas say? What does something higher say? That is the lifeline. That's what we need to be hooked up to. And you've got to have something that will hold. It can't be a thread. It's got to be something that will hold. We've got to understand this work is this thing you call yourself, which has to be transformed. It's got to be revamped. It's got to be altered. It's got to be changed. This work is you. It's about this thing that you call yourself. It's about that thing changing. It's not about other people changing. It's not about situations or circumstances changing. It's not about getting this or getting that. It's about you. This is all about you. This is what you've always wanted your whole life. You've always wanted everything to be about you. Well, this is. And now what do you want? Well, you want it to be about me. You want it to be about her. You want it to be about him. You want it to be about somebody else. If you know all about these teachings and are negative without any adjustment to yourself, I have to ask you this. Are you tethered to a lifeline? If you know all about these ideas, if you can recite them, if you can tell other people about them, if you can write essays about them, and then you're negative without adjusting yourself in any way, just negative and you're justifying it instead of adjusting your negative state, are you tethered to a lifeline? The lifeline is where you begin to be awake to the truth that you are responsible to something higher for being negative instead of blaming others or justifying yourself. You are responsible to this work, to whatever conscious being originated this work. You are responsible to that conscious being for this work, for your negativity, for not knowing, for not doing, for not applying yourself. You are responsible to that. Not to me, not to life. And the lifeline is when you begin to wake up, to be stabbed awake to the truth that it's you who are responsible. No one else. You. How and why do people find their way to these teachings? I've asked myself this, I don't know how many times, how do people find these podcasts? How do they find their way here? And then why do, this, why do they stay? Why do just one out of maybe a hundred stay? Why is that? You may be certain of two things that brought each of us to this point. And the two things are love of the world and love of self. That's what brought us here. And if you don't know that about yourself, <laughs> then I question the thickness of your lifeline, whether it's a thread or not. I brought a world of woe on myself by thinking I was going to be somebody and do something when I started over four decades ago. I had no idea then but I was going to do something for people. I was going to be somebody. I was going to be an important person and I was going to do great things and blah, 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 and blah, blah, blah. Of course, I was very young, but still, that's what I thought. And truly, I brought a world of woe on myself with that. Now, I would have brought a world of woe on myself anyway because that had to be, what, removed from me. And the process of removing a stain like that is sometimes very difficult. It takes harsh action. You know how they used to do laundry, and they still do in some place. They take it down to the river, and they beat it on a rock. 
Well, if you remember, the rock is the first level of truth. And if you've ever been beat on a rock <laughs> to get some of the dirt out of you, to get some of the impurities out of you, then you understand what I'm talking about. It can be very, very painful. Very painful. Life has a way of dealing with us when we're thick-headed, when we're stubborn. And it's not a pleasant way. These ideas can't be properly ordered from self-interest. The bottom line is what I entered this for was self-interest. That's all it was. It was love of the world and love of myself. And that's why I was here. And it took decades for me to get to the place where I realized that I was nothing and that it didn't matter what I did. All the things that I thought mattered didn't matter. That what mattered was what I did internally, not what I did externally. So these ideas will never line up right as long as you're doing them with self-interest. They always go wrong because emotions change the ordering of truth in you. What I mean is, if you love someone, your internal world is very different from when you're suspicious of that same person. When you're suspicious, when you become suspicious, notice how everything inside of you begins to change. All your thoughts begin to change, all your feelings begin to change, all your sensations begin to change. But when you're not suspicious, when you just love the person unconditionally, then everything inside is different. And that's what I mean. These ideas can't be properly ordered from self-interest. When you're suspicious, it's always one reason, self-interest. When you love someone, it's always another reason. There's no self-interest involved. It's always the interest of your beloved. It's always the interest of the other. It's not an interest for you. And then, because of the emotions, there's a change in the ordering of the truth in you. Everything internally begins to line up differently. When you have a lifeline, it can pull you back from these internal disasters that we face every day. What are the internal disasters? Well, every time you're negative, it's an internal disaster. You don't understand it's a tornado, it's a hurricane, it's an earthquake, it's a fire, it's a flood. Inside of you, it is devastating your internal world, really devastating it by altering the order of everything internally. It's very dangerous. The slightest negative emotion is very dangerous, and people do not understand this. A person with a good external memory of the teachings has no such lifeline. Nothing with which to pull him back into the boat when he's fallen into life's sea of insanity. There are two kinds of people who approach these teachings, the wise and the foolish. I'm going to read to you from Matthew chapter 25, verses 1 through 13. Then the kingdom of heaven will be comparable to ten virgins who took their lamps and went out to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were foolish and five were prudent. For when the foolish took their lamps, they took no oil with them. But the prudent took oil in flasks along with their lamps. Now while the bridegroom was delaying, they all got drowsy and began to sleep. But at midnight there was a shout, Behold, the bridegroom, come out to meet him. Then all those virgins rose and trimmed their lamps. The foolish said to the prudent, Give us some of your oil, for our lamps are going out. But the prudent answered, No, there will be not enough for us and you too. Go instead to the dealers and buy some for yourselves. And while they were going away to make the purchase, the bridegroom came, and those who were ready went in with him to the wedding feast, and the door was shut. Later the other virgins came, saying, Lord, Lord, open up for us. But he answered, Truly, I say to you, I do not know you. Be on the alert then, for you do not know the day nor the hour. If you think about it, that's what we're talking about. Five of them had no lifeline. 
They had the lamps, they had the light, they had the knowledge. They've been listening to the podcast, they've been reading the books, they've been going to the meetings, but they didn't have any oil. They had no oil in themselves. They had no lifeline. They had nothing in themselves that could keep that going, that could keep the lamp going, that could keep the light of consciousness glowing. And then the five who were prudent, they did have something in themselves. They did have some connection with this work. They did have some connection with these teachings. They did have some real experience that acted as a lifeline for them. Unless you see the good of the truth of esoteric ideas, you will not face the conscious suffering that comes from obeying it. It's just that simple. You will fall away. If you do not see the good of it, if you cannot say the same kind of thing that that emailer said, it seems like a paradox to thank you for the pain. I'm not a masochist, trust me. It may seem like a paradox, but unless you see the good of the truth of esoteric ideas, you're not going to face the pain, the hurt, the conscious suffering that comes from obeying something higher. You will not be inclined or able to face the kind of person that you are internally. You will have no lifeline to bring you back from Davy Jones' locker. You light up instant matter.